Let's pray together, please. Believing that you do abide with us, O God, we ask that we be given the gift of openness to hear what your Spirit might say to us through the scriptures we've read and through our time together. May uh, we hear the word amidst the many words. Through Jesus Christ, the living word, we pray. Amen. Uh, Simon Peter, to me, delivers a great impromptu sermon on that day of Pentecost. He hits all the major points. He uh, wraps it up well. But then it feels a little bit as if he kind of got out of control when he adds sort of at the very end, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Can't you hear a TV evangelist using those same words? Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Or maybe it's uh, the words that might come uh, from the Godzilla movie, you know, run, here he comes, save yourself. The entire congregation is going to be swept up. Is it really that bad? Is Simon Peter's generation any worse than our generation? In fact, his generation had uh, religious persecution, uh, religious paralysis. It had uh, violence. It had the abuse of power. It had greed. It had people putting their faith in armies and the powers, just like today. I mean... They didn't have some of the things that we have. They didn't have, they didn't have uh, tweeting and twerking. They didn't have uh, <laughs> banks too big to fail. Uh, they didn't have drones sent out in the name of our country, dropping bombs on people. So corrupt? That's pretty critical. It's pretty judgmental. It's pretty bad. Is it, is it that bad? Well, that bad, I think, depends on your point of view. We've all been hearing commentary this week about the comments made by Mr. Sterling, the owner of the L.A. Clippers, which aren't that bad if you're white and live in 1930. But from another vantage point they reveal an undercurrent. It's not just him. He's just the one whose name has risen to the top. Probably he reveals an undercurrent, a culture that continues to face the challenges of racism even in our day. I mean, take the voter rights laws that were struck down by the Supreme Court. I don't have any problem voting. So surely no one else does, right? Well, it all depends on your vantage point and who you are. You see, for many of us, we live a pretty decent life. We're basically good people. We try to be good people. And we live a pretty carefree life, most of us. For many of us, the biggest challenge we had yesterday was deciding which derby hat to wear. I, I didn't have a problem with that. But um, which derby hat to wear and uh, which horse to pick. But if you live in Beecher Terrace, here in the city of Louisville, which was featured just 
this week in a national PBS show on Frontline, revealing the hopelessness and the helplessness and the lovelessness that's present among so many who find themselves in this cycle of prison and parole and never able to find a job. And these youth, these children in these juvenile detention centers that are just cycling downward. You realize from their point of view, it might be a corrupt generation. Or if you're one of the 200 girls who was abducted in Nigeria and and perhaps sold off to be uh, married to, to someone they don't even know, it probably feels like a pretty corrupt generation. Or if you're one of the family members of the two women killed last week in Bardstown, Kentucky, you might be thinking, this is a corrupt generation that we need saved from. In other words, that bad depends on whether the patterns and habits of this generation are life-giving or life-draining for you, sometimes literally and sometimes metaphorically. Life-giving, life-draining. It's the culture we live in. We cannot talk simply about our individual sins. For there is, amongst and because of our individual sins, there appears a whole that is greater than the sum of its parts. That is, there's this systemic sin that is present always that we just get used to. So that when the National Rifle Association continues to fight reasonable gun controls, over time, we just get uh, numb to the violence of the world we live in. When corporations run themselves with the motto, in wealth we trust, well, we just become part of it. We become complicit in it and participants in it. When our culture says, if it feels good, it must be good, then we become part of a culture that becomes more obese and more isolated and more divorced and more wasteful. When political speech and corporate speak says honesty is for fools, then we begin to live in a culture that says Say whatever you need to say in order to get your way, in order to avoid problems. When people are called upon to work longer and longer hours under more and more stress, it becomes the culture we live in. It's just the temperature of the room. And so we find ourselves having fewer occasions for joy and less of a sense of purpose. We're not bad people. We're just following along. We just get caught up in the flow. And we don't understand that it's taking us in the opposite direction of wholeness. Maybe Simon Peter is not being hyperbolic or not being judgmental. Maybe he's giving honest speech here when he says, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. We do those things that make matters worse. We go in the opposite direction from that which gives life and hope and joy and peace. It's like going on a diet and just having a little 
bite a pie and then deciding, oh, well, I've already taken a bite. I might as well eat the whole pie. You just get going in the wrong direction. And the next thing, I see all those guilty faces out there. And the next thing you know, you're in a place you don't want to be. You say, I'll just take one more drink or one more hit or one more fix or I'll just tell this one more lie and you find yourself going in the wrong direction against the flow which is God. Long ago, H.H. Farmer said, when you go against the grain of the universe, against the grain, when you go against the grain of the universe, You get splinters. It's not what God intends. It is, I think, the reason that Jesus Christ came into the world. Jesus didn't come into the world just to do this religious uh, hocus-pocus in the sky so that God would like us again. Jesus came, as he said, to show us the way I am The way, he said. He came to stand in love before every corrupt generation, Simon Peter's generation and this generation we're in, to pull back the curtain and reveal the brokenness, the death, the hopelessness, the despair. To answer the question that was posed long ago by Cain in the early chapters of the book of Genesis, am I really my brother's keeper? The answer, yes. Yes. God cares more about us caring for the world, caring for each other, than God cares about our forms of worship, our buildings, or even our claims to be the people of God. Jesus came into the world to show us that spirituality is not just about religion, but rather his teachings, are, his actions are revolutionary. He comes to show a whole new game. It's a whole new game. Most of us know about the short game and the long game. The short game says, I'll take a a quick hit. I'll I'll get in, I'll, I'll invest myself for just a short time, but I'll get out quickly. That's the short game. The long game says, I'll, I'll invest a little bit. I'll build some assets. I will give before I get. But ultimately, at the end of the day, there will be an end to the game, and I'll get my reward. It's the long game. The long game and the short game are both finite games. They have an ending. They have players. They have rules. They have an ending. Some win, some lose. It is a game that is based on scarcity. Scarcity. There's not enough to go around, so we have to compete with each other to see who gets the scarce amount of resources. Jesus Christ came into the world to play the infinite game. Where the point is not about winning. The point is to keep playing. It's based on abundance and enough for all. That's what good parents do. Good parents play the infinite game with their children. They give and they give not about reward, not about end, but it's about love. He came in love to show us the way of love. So we killed him. 
He messed with our game. He messed with our status. We liked our game. Hey, we're doing pretty well in our game. Don't mess with my game. So we killed him. We tried to silence him. And God raised him. On the third day, God raised him from the dead. To say, here in Jesus is where real life is found, found, and the world can't silence it. The world can't kill it. To be saved is to join in this revolution of love. It is to trust. It is to, to live our lives with faithful acts. To be delivered from the hell of greed and fear and corruption and violence in this life and in the next life. William Stringfellow said, that great revolutionary Christian lawyer, he said, it's worse than you think it is. And you are freer than you think you are. It's worse than you think it is. And you're freer than you think you are. The powers are raging beyond your control. And they are already overcome in Christ. The the vision that is an uncrossable spiritual chasm, and that chasm's been crossed. It's Christ. It's this way. I was reminded again this week that the, the word save, save yourself from this corrupt generation. The word save comes from the same root as the word salve. Salve, to to heal, to restore, to prevent this infection and corruption from setting in. So to be saved is to address the patterns that drive us in the opposite direction of health and joy and sacredness. to, To reverse course. Which is, of course, what the word repent means. To repent is... Not merely to say, I'm sorry for the bad things I've done. It is to turn into a new way. To believe that when sins are forgiven, we get a new beginning. That when Simon Peter says, receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, that we can know that presence of the sacred in our own lives. I don't think it was the intent of the gospel writers that honest speech be simply to go out into the public square and say these words exactly. Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus and have your sins forgiven and receive the Holy Spirit. Ours is not to just simply repeat this over and over again, louder and louder. That's not what evangelism is. That's just annoying, frankly. Honest speech names where we all need to be saved from this corrupt generation. Those places that are built into our systems in ways so subtle, so discreet, so intentional that we hardly even detect it. It took me years to recognize the privilege I have as a white, middle-class, educated male in the United States. But now I know. Lord, have mercy. The invitation is to discover that this narrative of our generation is a part of this larger systemic sin and to repent 
as individuals and as a faith community to turn in a different direction. It's not a one-and-done kind of act. It is a lifelong enterprise of faithful acts. Here's the good news Jesus came to tell us. God is on our side. God wants this for us. It's for us, for our children, for all who are drawn. Who is all? All is all. Everyone. We're all invited to this work of love. To be saved, to be salved, so that we can act and react and interact as Easter people in this Easter-averse world. And to believe, to live it, that God is not done. You may remember the name Antoinette Tuff, who was in the news last fall. Antoinette was a bookkeeper at a at suburban Atlanta elementary school. She wasn't even supposed to be at work that day. But she was working at the front desk when a man burst into the office with an AK-47 rifle. He had been off his meds for some time. He demanded that she call 911 that he was, to tell them that he was going to start shooting and killing everyone in the school before he killed himself. She did make the call to 911. But then she did an amazing thing. She began to talk to him, not as someone to be feared, but just as another human being. She began to interact with him. As the shooting began, she said to him, Sweetheart, come back in here. Bullets don't have no names, and those bullets are going to kill me and you. I need you to come back in here, and it's going to be you and me, and we will work this thing out. She said, I'll if you put your gun down, I'll walk out with you, and they won't hurt you, and it'll be okay. I'll be proud of you if you lay down your gun. That would be a good thing for you to do. She told him stories about her own life about her own despair, about how she felt after her husband of 33 years left her and she was a divorced person. She, t- she was honest with him. She said, there have been times when I wanted to kill myself. You see, she was playing the infinite game. The game that's about love about enough, about abundance, that says there's enough here for all of us. And so she let her actions, her faithful acts, transform what could have been another horrific situation. Walter Brueggemann says we need to let our acts disrupt the captivity of our old imaginations. It's what she did. How'd she do it? I love this part. She gave credit to her preacher. (laughs) She talked about hearing a sermon just the week before about anchoring yourself in God. And I started doing that anchoring. I'm praying. I get up every day and I read my Bible. And then I spend 15 minutes listening for God. What did she read that day, that fateful day? That morning she had saturated herself in Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. 
Even though I walked through the valley of the shadow of death, she had no idea as she read those words that she would be abiding in that very valley in just a few short hours. But she was ready, ready to live her faithful act. It's the invitation that you and I have every single day of our lives to ready ourselves. It's why we gather in this place every Sunday. It's why we come to this table to ready ourselves, to equip ourselves, to nourish ourselves in this way, this truth, this life. Do you believe it? Let's pray together. Risen Christ, come to your people this day through the bread and the cup, through the reading of scriptures, through the community gathered, through all the acts of worship, including this moment of silence. And hearing May we have the courage to obey you. In your holy name we pray. Amen. This morning we're invited to this table of love. It is Christ's table, not our table, so all are invited. All may come and receive, not because we're good enough, but because God has invited all who are hungry for God, to come and eat at this table. So you are invited this morning to the table of love. Let's prepare ourselves now to come to this table. Stand with me and let's turn to strangers and friends and family with these words. May the peace of Christ be with you, also with you.